One of my goals when I came for my internship at Hopkins was I'm just going to talk to as many people as I can to figure out how they got a job here. Like, how do you get into science writing as a career? Mm -hmm. And like, there's no straight path. Like, everybody's just kind of like, oh, I was doing this. And then somebody asked me to do that. And now I'm here. <laughs> so many of you may know that my time at Johns Hopkins was one of the most pivotal points in my life. It was not the job that I dreamed of, but it was a job that I needed. And during that time, I was blessed to work with a bunch of great people whom I still call family to this day. Today's guest is one of my good friends who started around the same time I did, and that is the one and only Miss Rachel Butch. Rachel is one of the prominent reasons that I can call myself a two-time award-winning producer. We worked on several projects together, including In Case You Missed It, where she served as the host. And I have to say, it was an amazing thing to watch her transition from not only a science writer, but a science broadcaster as well. So ladies and gentlemen, get ready as Rachel and I take a trip back down memory lane and she gives you a better understanding of science communications. Here is my conversation with Rachel Butch. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised on the line today, I have one of my favorite people, one of my favorite colleagues in the past, somebody who I can truly say helped changed my career helped me in a time when things was difficult i felt like i didn't know what i was doing that is the one the only miss rachel butch rachel how are you doing today hey brian i'm doing great i'm so excited to get to see you and talk to you man this has been a long time coming you know um so it's funny story i had a list when i first started this in 2019 um i don't know if i ever told you how the idea came about Mm -mm. But it was doing one of those Hopkins trips, me and Marin, who will be on here soon. We're just trying to figure out the time. Um, but me and Marin was in Atlanta. So I want to say that was thoracic surgeon. I might be wrong, though. But we were there and we were talking about um, just podcasting in general. And I said, this was during a walk to the convention. And I said, I want to do a podcast where I showcase all of my friends. I want to talk about their career journeys. So a part of planning, because you know, that's what we always had to do. We always had to write a plan for things, <laughs> which I've, you know, been taking that into other walks of life. So I wrote out a plan for everything and you were on the list. So it was just, I'm glad we finally able to do this. I like that your podcast idea was like, I want to make an excuse to make appointments to talk to my friends. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's been cool because I've been able to catch up with a lot of people, whether it be on air or even after the show is over mm. or beforehand. So it's pretty cool. But um, everything's going well. Things are good. I mean, it's been a nuts year. We like bought a house. I moved around jobs. Um, so it's like coming back out of the pandemic with a lot of speed behind me. <laughs> yeah, talk about it. Well, um, you know, let's get started. Uh, I always say that you are one of the smartest people I know. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, you have to own it now. I said okay. it on the air. You said it's on the doc it's on the record now. It's on the record. It's, it's on terrifying. the internet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but what made you? When did your love for science start? Oh my gosh! Uh, when I started, like as a human being. I mean, like, I think I was always a science kid. My parents are physical therapists. So one of the stories I tell is growing up that I had a favorite bone. It was the patella, which is your kneecap. Okay. Um, so that was among my first words was an anatomy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've always been the science kid, always had pets, always really interested in animals. My family thought I was going to be a vet growing up. Um which I like pursued a little bit. I checked it out and it wasn't right. Um, but, you know, once I got into like the science communication field, that wasn't until I got into like college. Mm -hmm. And I really, I mean, like I was a bio major. So I thought I was going to grad school and I was going to do 
mm, some sort of microbiology thing. And I picked up this certificate program they had at Pitt and it was public and professional writing. And I was like, grad schools are going to love that if I can write because I don't I don't like have I don't know. I was talking to a bunch of people at the meeting this past weekend and I was like, they all love writing so much. And like maybe I don't know, are we going to are we going to cut this? Don't tell Vanessa. I don't love <laughs> writing all that much. I love doing like the science communication stuff, but I, I don't like sitting down at a blank sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. um, so I picked it up and I was like, OK, like I've always been good at writing. It's something that I can do pretty easily on my own um, and ended up doing all of my projects for that certificate program around my re lab research. So that was just like a boot camp in science communication for me. And I got to the end and I'm like, not that good at my bio classes. I'm not that good at math. Uh, my advisor was like, what you gonna do? Because <laughs> you like, you're having a hard time, girly. Uh, and she goes, you should check out SciComm. And she said that like one word to me and it was off to the races because I didn't know it existed at all. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. <laughs> what, so what? Why is that that a lot of people do not know about science communications? I I don't know. I think for me, it like got lumped into journalism. And also, <laughs> there's this huge dichotomy between your science training and a communications training. I mean, culturally, the courses you take, it's so different. And if you're going to go and be a doctor, if you're going to go and be a researcher, you're laser focused whenever you're in those courses. Um, So it's just like culture shift i'm sorry total uh, culture shift yeah because like uh, when i got to johns hopkins and i was you know essentially brought there just to get the boot camp going okay and then it, but they the, the agency that placed me there told me that it was really to do event planning and a lot of social media so like that's how i ended up there and mm -hmm. i was like all right well i'm fresh out of espn off the way they did social media i'm like all right cool i can do this but then i learned like the way the writing is different but i had never seen this in school so you imagine me telling my friends and people in my journalism circles that i work with science writers and they're like huh what exactly. does that mean you know <laughs> so um i always wondered like why isn't because it could essentially be a major within itself if i'm not mistaken and more places are opening that up. Like when mm -hmm. I was at Pitt my last year there, they opened up one science writing course. Um, and I think since then, programs have really exploded. I'm seeing more and more students from, you know, actual science writing programs at places like AAAS. So it's growing. People are, especially now after COVID, I think people understand how important science communication is more than ever. But mm -hmm. it never... I don't know. My impression is it like wasn't really its own thing. Um, yeah. My one of my goals when I came for my internship at Hopkins was I'm just going to talk to as many people as I can to figure out how they got a job here. Like, how do you get into science writing as a career? Mm -hmm. And like, there's no straight path. Like, everybody's just kind of like, oh, I was doing this. And then somebody asked me to do that. And now I'm here. <laughs> no, facts. So, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of scientists turned writers, a lot of writers turn science enthusiasts. So it's wild out here. Yeah. Um, you it's funny you bring that up because that was my goal. Like come in, my original goal was network with the video team or the social media team mm -hmm. and hope to get a job. And shout out to Shauna because she was building those connections for me. Like she would introduce me to those teams because she knew that. I would never be like a science writer. I mean, oh, I wouldn't have been in there without Shauna either. So, <laughs> yeah, we all know the story. Audrey failed me. Oh, excuse me. I failed Audrey's class in 11th grade. It was uh, Audrey's fault. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I had no business taking. But, you know, so, and I was having a hard time. You, and it's funny now because I can do it. Shout out to you. But when you, you remember the um, Tomorrow's for Discovery videos? Mm hmm. So when I started, I would be given like eight YouTube links 
and told to write the YouTube description, like a YouTube description, a tweet, and a Facebook post. Do you realize that took me seven to eight hours just to do that? Like, I would try to watch the video, figure out what they were saying, translate it. And I, it was a struggle. It's now, not easy. Right. Now I could do it. You know yeah. what I mean? But that comes with working with you and Vanessa and Chinapa because y'all really, like, translated the science where I could understand. You know what I mean? But and I remember coming in and I was like, you know, working on my first press releases and stuff. And I was like, Brian, you got to read this. Does this make sense to you? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know. I don't I don't know science. And I'm like, that's why I'm asking you, sir. <laughs> if right. it doesn't make you sense know. to you, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember when um, Andrew Golden came in and he was like, man, what is this? Because, you know, he didn't even want to be there. We I know. He about... was like, my mom made me show up to this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And we talked about that on his episode, how our team really made it fun for him. And then he was like, you know, it made him step out of his comfort zone. Uh, but, you know, um, you talked about University of Pittsburgh. What made mm -hmm. you choose that uh, for school? Oh, my gosh. Well, I'm local. So mm -hmm. it what did make me choose Pitt for school? besides just living in Pittsburgh. But I think I got in my head that I wanted to go somewhere that was really academically accoladed is the wrong word, but, you know, pretty well known for their science programs. And mm -hmm. all the other schools I went to, like, didn't really have those kind of chops that Pitt being linked up with UPMC and having this whole history um, really gave me. And I wanted the opportunities that it provided, you know, I have been working in research laboratories since I was like 16 years old. Um, and my first one was at Pitt. So I had, you know, it, my relationship runs deep. My parents are Pitt grads. It's all, it's all over us. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, how did it make them feel when you chose it? Like, were they like super excited? And especially when you graduated? My parents are like so nonchalant. They like try... <laughs> Like, I think they were really, my mom especially, my dad went there for a graduate program, um, mm -hmm. but my mom went for undergrad. All her siblings went for undergrad. My cousins went there. So she was like real happy to have me close to home. Um, and I think she had the kind of same confidence in the program. Cool. Now, yeah. how did you, how did you find Johns Hopkins? Oh my God. Well, that was part of the, the hitting the ground running thing. Mm -hmm. um, so after figuring out that grad school wasn't going to work for me uh, in a, you know, biological study sense. I talked to my advisor, got that word SciComm and just like started Googling and started looking stuff up. One of the first things I did was start writing for the like medical news uh, magazine. Um, mm -hmm. It was run by students. So I was like, I need writing chops if I'm going to do this. So let's get some clips running. And I started emailing people who ran science writing programs mm -hmm. so the first one of the first people i emailed was rob erian who was really involved with the um nasw travel fellowship at the time and he was like you have to apply to this if you want to get in we're like it was perfect timing to the point where they were just finishing up accepting applications and i got in and they gave me some money to travel from pittsburgh out to dc and go to aaas and do the internship fair Okay. And this is like a format, and I'm giving you the long story here, but this no. is the format of like, you have a bunch of news desks lined up. So science is always there. Nat Geo was there. Um, and Hopkins had their internship booth there. And you like, it's like speed dating for science writing internships. And neither like you go news, you go PIO kind of stuff. It's got a variety in there. So you run through all like for five hours, you're doing five minute interviews with people. And two of the people I talked to were Marin and Shauna. And I mean, it was, it fit really well with what I wanted to do because I love science. I love talking about research. I didn't feel equipped to go chasing after stories, especially after having to having a really hard time figuring out how to do that with the news magazine. Mm -hmm. Um, so it fit pretty perfectly. I had a whole binder of like clips that I like flipped through them to show them stuff. Um, it was very cute, <laughs> but 
it seemed like it was a really, really good fit. So that's kind of, you know, I ended up applying and getting into it. Um, and that's how I got to Hopkins. It was a whirlwind. Nah, it was um it was so cool. And if I'm not mistaken, you and Reagan were interns together, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, and for me, because I was so new and you know, I was working with Shauna and Kathy, but I wasn't really understanding like the science of it all. But mm-hmm. it was still like all about planning boot camp. And then, you know, the story Bia comes and then my desk gets shifted. And then you know, and I was really supposed to be leaving, if you remember. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you and Reagan got there. And then it, it just seemed like when the team really started, like, collaborating and becoming one. Like, I don't know how it was before, but it just seemed like, you know, Audrey and Moran always did a great job of making sure, like, everybody knew what everybody was doing. Well, you also, like, you personally, because I'm glad you got moved over to my side of the office because... <laughs> Like, you made sure to get everybody together. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. are the people person. Of, <laughs> okay, yeah. Like, I, I don't know that I would have talked to Reagan if mm-hmm. you had not been like, get over here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, you know, because I, I can't sit still. It's weird now <laughs> working at home. But people will tell you I can't sit still. So I would get up, walk around the office, talk to people, especially when I, like, really started getting really cool with Lauren and Taylor. So I would mm-hmm. go over to their side. And talk to them. And, you know, it was freedom. But, like, one of the things I noticed that when you started interning, again, hitting the ground running, it felt like every time I turned around, you had a book bag or a binder or something or a folder or something. You was like, oh, yeah, I'm about to go interview this doctor. I'm about to go interview that doctor. And you were just, you was cranking out content like that. They really aren't joking. With that internship, it really is like that. And I think maybe mine more than others, just because the the team was in such a state of flux Mm -hmm. that, I mean, I just remember McMaines being like, oh, you're going to write? Here's like three papers. Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I'll show you how to write a press release and then you're just going to, I'm just going to let you do it. So it was really cool. I mean, like super intimidating coming in right out of undergrad. Like, Brian, I had decided that I was going to do science writing, like, maybe six months before I met you. Like that's the turnaround, right? So I went to that conference in February. I was in Baltimore by May. Yeah. Um, So it was real quick. (laughs) And and we're not even talking about moving. What do you mean? Like life, moving. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No, I like had to sublet my my room in my house in Pittsburgh and like be like uh bye guys like graduation two weeks later i was in baltimore mm-hmm. yeah it was nuts yeah and then that was your brother had graduated the same time that year right because <sighs> i think you took a vacation i remember you took there was a conversation we had and yeah at the time i was thinking my intern my um temporary job was going to end and i said well rachel you know we'll keep in contact and you was like you'll be here when i get back yeah i needed you to be there when i came back <laughs> And then, but yeah, you know, so my internship was over, and I think that's when they were hiring me into the media rep position. Mm-hmm. And like it was like the end of the summer. You're like, my contract's up. I'm gonna be out of here. And I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna see you later. I can't not see you later. <laughs> it was it was scheduled in June 19th. I remember that because that's my first Sierra's birthday. And um, the Audrey came to me around June 9th or 10th. Okay, and was like, you want to stay? I'm like, uh, can I say this to you? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and she goes, okay, cool. So we're working on this precision medicine thing. And I think you'll be perfect. You would do the social media for that. But in the meantime, we'll find something for you to do. And I was like storing all the clips from the news <laughs> on the, the whatever, the uh, iDrive, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was that was fun to say the least. Uh, it was you know, but that that was a fun summer, too, because we got to do a lot of cool projects and we really got to create a lot, too. But what was that transition like from internship to media rep? It was intimidating. OK, I you know, because I was making a shift from basic sciences into clinical science, too. Mm-hmm. Um, They moved me on to a handful of the clinical beads. And it's like it's just a totally different ballgame. Um, basic scientists like the ones at least I was working with were like super happy to chit chat with you about their work. And, you know, I got to spend the time creating comm stuff around those without a whole ton of expectation. 
Mm -hmm. And when I went to the clinical side, it was like, oh, we want reports on how many hits you're getting on each of your stories. And I was like, I don't know how to do that yet. (laughs) (laughs) So it was really tough. And like justifying your performance, um, especially in a media setting is like, it's hard to do whenever you know how to do it. And Mm -hmm. it was quite the learning curve. I was in Marin's office a lot being like, they're asking for this. How do I do that? (laughs) But it was good. I mean, I got to meet like a lot of amazing people. Mm -hmm. That's when I got linked up with like Pablo Pablo Selnik, who's doing all the stroke research. So like, it's awesome stuff. It's just whenever you're providing patient care and you're doing comms for that, it's a lot. It's a lot different than when it's science for the sake of science and discovery. Yeah, I, I had to work with Dr. Sonic before um, yeah. I left. So like the last year as the team was getting smaller, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, now you have to have a beat. Like, oh my gosh, right? I can't write. And you can only bullshit <laughs> so much. Like I would, so what I would do is, I can say this now. I would find every excuse not to write, especially during the pandemic, right? We're virtual. So I would literally tell doctors and researchers, you have the worst science writer on a team in charge of your beat. How but dare you? You got the best video producer. <laughs> so I think we can reach more people if we do a video. <laughs> so I would just record Zoom videos and then, you know, write social pieces and pitch them to my friends in the news. But that works so well. Like, mm-hmm. I wish I could do that for everything because <laughs> it's so effective. <laughs> if you can get a re- if you can get a person talking mm-hmm. about what they talking about what they do, um, yeah. it's so much more engaging than reading about it. Yeah, and and that was the thing, you know. And you know, speaking of talking, let's transition to uh, one of the greatest projects ever known. In case you missed it. Known so, to the history of man and womankind. <laughs> exactly. Oh, if, if they only kept it going. What up? It's your boy Blue Magic, owner of Full Wear and one half of the Mixed Tag Show. Now, I know you've seen the announcements for some of your favorite podcasts in the wrestling. I've decided to expand my business to become a vendor so that people from the wrestling community have a better way to communicate with some of their favorites. So check out FourYourWear.com and see if your favorite podcast on wrestling has partnered up with me. If not, let them know that they should. Also, if you're looking for a vendor for your merchandise, reach out to me at Blue Magic Ground Spell House Sound on Twitter or Instagram or at For Your Wear, F O R U R W E A R, on Twitter and on Instagram. Shout out to Brian H. Waters and Breaking Through Glass Ceilings. Their merchandise are already up and they're one of the first ones that supported. So go support them. All right? Peace. So, what was it 20, yeah, 2018? I think. Because it felt like it took forever for it to get launched. Which, yeah, it did. Yeah. It, yeah, so it was 2018. Uh, I remember sitting in there, and you were talking about the breast cancer ducks. Oh, man. That was such and, a good one. Yeah, and I remember just sitting there, and usually during the Monday meetings, I'm listening to figure out, okay, is there an opportunity to create social media content? Because, like, for me not to have liked science at all growing up, I really loved the job. And a lot of it was the people, but we found ways to be innovative, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when we didn't have people, you know, handcuffing us. So when I saw like the social media team and the video team, everything was just so cookie cutter. They wanted to do things the same way over and over again. But, you know, Audrey and Marin's team, we always was like, nah, let's be different. And Mm -hmm. I was, remember you was talking about the breast cancer ducks and you got like this super excitement about it. So it made me excited. Like, okay, so wait, what happens? And one day- Because it's cool. <laughs> it's super cool. But, you know, that's what you call a star because everybody can't make everything seem cool, right? But you were able to do that. And I know you humble, but I'm not when it comes to my friends. So I remember one day, and it was shortly after Prince died, it came like an alert came to my watch. It said, uh, five things you may have missed from CNN. Mm-hmm. Light bulb goes off. What if we do five things you may have missed from Johns Hopkins? And I was like, well, okay. So I don't know if you remember like when I like honed the idea down. I ran to you. Rachel, I got this idea <laughs> and I think you'll be perfect. 
Um, because we had tried to do like a introduction to a press release via video. Uh-huh. Me and Lauren tried it, and we couldn't really like perfect it. So when I came with this idea, and you were like on board immediately. Well, it's because, like, I'm all over these, like, science recap videos, too. So I was like, did you see this one and this one and this one? (laughs) That's what made it work. That's the thing that I really wanted people to take from this conversation. Like, sure, I may have had the idea, but because what made it magical was the fact that this is your lane. And you were a fan and you were watching. It's like you would always talk about, especially when we would have, like, the science. I don't want to call it, I guess it's comedy. Remember when we would go to that one room? You know, I didn't forgot all the names of this place, but the, um, you're terrible well, with the branding. What's going on here? I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, my world is all wrestling now. <laughs> this is this is a nice break when I get to do this. But um, you remember the room in the, on campus that we used to go to off of Wolf Street, and they would always have like a science guy come in or gal, and they would do comedy. That is the preclinical teaching building, and that okay. was the basic sciences building. And yeah, I. <laughs> You know, you're right. I also don't remember the title of that talk series. Um, but you know but they what I'm were talking great. about? Mm-hmm. They, they, they were fun. Like, again, I enjoyed it. Who, you know, but you, this is your lane. This is in your space. You know what I mean? So when you was able to like break it down, and then we obviously honed it down instead of in five stories or three stories. Cause yeah. at first, my idea was just like read a sentence and then read a, uh, you know, once read the title, one sentence from yeah. the press release, move on. And, and y'all, Rachel was like, well, nobody's going to really understand that, Brian. Like, sure, you could do that, but we got to give them some more. And, you know, it was real fun. But talk about, like, your transition, because now you've gone from writer to broadcaster. And, you know, just talk about making that transition and how you felt when you saw, like, the over, like, the response to the way people were picking up on it. I think giving me the broadcaster credits a little much. I was just a cute face she put in front of the camera. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> no, it was, I mean, the number of people who asked, like, let's just start within our department. The number of mm-hmm. people who asked us about that program, it was so cool to, like, see all the different avenues that people were interested in. I know the video team was some of the first to reach out, but, like, I had researchers who had seen it, and... Um, you know, there was just like all these different places that a format like that would fit into really well. And it was, it was just really nice to, I think, especially because it took so long to launch and we did so much work to find that form. Like we got a formula going, but we did mm-hmm. so much work to find that. And just having that payoff was so nice. It was so sweet, um, to see it and then to have it also be effective for what our job is right Mm -hmm. and to have it be a legitimate avenue to share research stories um was just beautiful i don't know how to describe it i mean it was just like it's so nice to see something you've worked so hard for be appreciated among your colleagues but also impactful for what you're actually trying to do or getting paid for Did you get your flu shot yet? If not, it's not too late to avoid those sick days. Hi, my name is Rachel Butch, and this is In Case You Missed It with Hopkins Med News. We're outside of the Johns Hopkins Outpatient Center where Dr. Lisa Maragakis, an expert epidemiologist, is working to protect her patients against the flu. Though this flu season is predicted to be less severe, it's still important that you get the vaccine before you're exposed to the virus. Dr. Maragakis recommends that all of her patients six months and older get the shot. Speaking of vaccination, another group of our researchers found that some parents are still reluctant to get their children vaccinated against HPV. In a survey, they found that the top two reasons parents decided to skip the shot were one, concerns about the vaccine safety, and two, their physician just never recommended it. Dr. Anna Beavis and Dr. Ann Rossich believe that this puts the power to protect patients firmly into the physician's hands. If they make a strong recommendation to have a vaccine and reiterate its safety, they believe that more children can be protected against HPV. Recently, Johns Hopkins researchers published the results of a four-year project aimed to improve the health of our East Baltimore neighbors. Here, residents have an average life expectancy that's 20 years shorter than in some of the city's wealthier areas. This project helped thousands of people avoid hospital readmissions 
And as a nice bonus, it saved Medicare and Medicaid $113 million. That's it for this week. For more information on research from Johns Hopkins Medicine, check out our newsroom on hopkinsmedicine.org. And follow us on Twitter at HopkinsMedNews. Yeah, and you know, what was so cool was like the team we had assembled, right? Um, you know, I'll start from the beginning just with Bia, Chinapa, and Lauren because they were a part of like the planning process and, mm-hmm. you know, they had moved on by the time we finally got launched. Um, but they were a part of the planning process. I remember going to Audrey with the idea and, you know, I was just thinking we'll just find a place in the hospital or shoot like yeah. a swing space. And Audrey was like, no, you got to take it here. You got to take it there. And you know how Audrey would get when she's excited about something. So that it makes you excited. And I always said like two things that she was doing. So I always compared her to Vince McMahon. Right. And I would hear people talk about Vince McMahon and in the way of, well, I guess, I, 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 not not the problematic side that still come out recently. And I got to be careful because every time we do the wrestling room and we mention Vince's name, it's like the show starts to cut off. Is but this, this is all positive. Reference. He's the owner of WWE. Well, the founder. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't know. <laughs> so just, just know in July, he made my day at work, like take a complete shift. But um, what we would do is like they always say you come to him and say you come to him with the idea and he would make it better. Or if you say you don't want to do something, he would talk to you. And by the time you finished leaving the office, you would do exactly what he wanted. You said you wouldn't do. Okay. So if we're going back to the Audrey analogy, you'll, you'll leave her office and you'll think it's your idea. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, I would leave. Like, I'd be like, Oh, I don't, I don't think I can handle this. And I was like, Oh, I've been doing this for eight years. Like, <laughs> how about it? You know, I mean, she made me write a media pitch for a trans, um, was it a uh, uh, transplant day or something like okay. that? And you know, and I was thinking I can't do this, and it was good, but the penis transplant overshadowed, so I didn't. That'll do it, huh? Right. <laughs> oh, that was a day. But um, so when I brought to her the idea, in case you missed it, she said, "Well, take it over here." And and we remember we was all like, "Are we really ready for that? Maybe we should need to just focus on getting the content and just doing it in one place." But Sure enough, when we did that last pilot episode that never aired, but we did it right outside the dome, it was pretty much perfect, you know, and to see us go into different places, showing off the hospital, showing off Johns Hopkins, even to a point where people were saying, hey, can you put this story in or can you do this one? And I remember when the first episode aired to see my friends who are journalists really love it and love you. You know what I mean? And then it was to a point where, like, shout out to my friend Chanel. She was like, I feel like I know Rachel. You remember when you cut your hair? And oh, yeah. She, <laughs> and she's like, Rachel cut her hair. That was the first thing she said. But it, it came to a point where, like, people were, like, really buying into, and, you know, people were becoming a fan of yours. Now, how did that make you feel? Um, so I know weird. you always kept an ego, but, like, especially the reason why I asked, because, like, you never came into this intending to be on camera. You know what I mean? So like, it's a whole different shift. I mean, my mom was super pleased. She's like, you're so cute. You should you're like, what are you going to do being in a lab? You got to go talk to people. Um, So, yeah, that was very good for her. But I don't I don't know. I don't feel like I have fans like I'm not on really on Twitter or anything. (laughs) Um, I can like say it like reflecting on how I feel about the people on the video series and stuff I follow. Mm -hmm. We're like. I do feel like they're my buddies. Yeah. So it's it's really fun to engage with that and be do a little bit of it and just a little taste to say that I've done it. <laughs> I will say this. As a fan of yours, I had always wished that we could have eventually launched a science podcast with you and Vanessa. I mean, that's not <laughs> out of the question. I do you like I will send you my Spotify wrapped. It is all podcasts. I listen okay. to just years worth. I listen to years worth of podcasts, so I might as well do one. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I would be so down for that because it's like so fun to just sit and chat about cool research. I was at the kitchen table last night talking through this cryo, like how cryo EM works with Kevin. And I was like, but you can see it. You're not just like inferring where this molecule is. You're looking at it. <laughs> And that's the thing, like, 
for me, you know, I'm from East Baltimore. We don't know nothing about science <laughs> for the most part, you know. Um, in like even in some of the areas we were uh, recording in, you know, in some of the times it might look a little sketchy because, but it was fitting because of the story we was talking about at the time about like the um, the uh, I want to call it like the the shoot the when things ain't balanced, right? The health equity. It was mm-hmm. one of the like the first ones we did. It was it was sort of like health equity esque, you know. So being able to listen to somebody, and obviously, you know, we're friends, so it's a difference, but also being able to say, hey, no, you need to check this out because this story is well, and it's the way you present it, right? And that's why I always, you know, what made me a fan, and that's what made it so much fun to be able to do that. And it helped me personally, you know, I'm thanking you publicly because you challenged me as far as the writing of it was concerned is writing, even though it, it took me back to broadcast writing, but I still had to make sure the science made sense. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it is so hard to go short with mm-hmm. science. You know, I'm only taking it two steps from the 18 page academic paper and to get that down. And I mean, what what were we cutting stories at? Like, a minute, minute and a half. Well, we we had the Twitter time limit. If we was on YouTube, sure, we would have went longer, but we stayed. It had to be under two minutes and twenty seconds. Yeah, so we were doing a whole, you know, whole conclusions for a research paper in three sentences. Mm-hmm. That's not easy to do, and to like figure out. I mean, like to figure out how to do that without the science background is amazing. So mm-hmm. I will never stop saying how proud I am of you mm-hmm. for like. Dude, like you did it. You did it so well. <laughs> I you. am so I'm still impressed <laughs> for how quickly you turned around from being like it's science writing. I don't know what's happening to like just turning out three sentences that were accurate enough for a <laughs> video series. Like, damn, <laughs> am I allowed well, to swear on here? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, the thing that I enjoyed too was working with the writers, right? You know, shout out to Michael, shout out to Patrick, shout out to Vanessa. Um, I think I shout out everybody on the team uh, in general um, who would, I would write the stories and then say, hey, can you look over this? And they would help me hone it, you know? And even with Michael, who was somebody who worked in broadcast before, you know, he could always make it interesting and, you know, just kind of help me. So, you know, the team effort, was what was amazing, you know what I mean? And being able to have that process. Once we got that process, we were I rolling. know, man. <laughs> I know. It was so fun. Because we mm. could, we just would walk on and be like, this is what we're doing. We got a yeah. teleprompter. We were like, good. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> I didn't and, and, have know, to say it all in one go. <laughs> I, I remember that. Oh, yeah, we did. You know, first we didn't have a teleprompter. No, and I would memorize it or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> No, you did, and, and you would get it done fairly quickly. You know what I mean. Um, and then even like working with uh, Kristen, because Kristen was also just like me, a video major. So yeah. for her to be able to come in and you know just kind of pick the ball up and get going. No, and, and like we wouldn't have been able to do it without the people because mm-hmm. that was the important part. Like right, like you left, and I was like, uh, I can't run in case you missed it by myself. <laughs> Yeah, and, and even Archie with makeup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember um she, she was like texting Audrey and Audrey said something about contour. And I was like, see, this is why I did have have... contour a little bit today. <laughs> you know, I do oh. work for Archie now, so <laughs> I have to uh, how cool keep is that? the standards up. It's yeah. wild. <laughs> but um, so what was some of like your favorite memories at Johns Hopkins? Uh, also, like outside, in case you missed it. Outside, I mean, obviously, in case you missed it, it was like mm. top tier. I think one of the, oh man, I don't know. It was all the people. I mean, mm-hmm. it really is. I, You guys are so incredible. And I learned so, I mean, I learned everything I know from you guys. <laughs> so it's really, it was really, really amazing. Um, so I've had the opportunity to come in and do all of this. I, you should have prepared me beforehand. I could have thought of some things, but I can't think of like 
individual memories. My favorite stuff is just talking with the researchers, though, besides mm -hmm. working with our team and making friends and having a fun time chatting about science with my buddies. Um, <laughs> it's it's working with the researchers and like mm -hmm. pulling that information out of them and being like just learning the coolest stuff in the whole world. It's so fun. And also, you also got to do a, a lot of traveling from time to time as well. Yeah. Um, which I thought was always like the coolest thing. You know, first was your first trip, uh, Greens. I mean, um, where did we go? Dorm. Was that your first trip as well? Well, I was going to NASW and AAAS. So I don't know okay. if that was my first one, but it was early. Yeah. Because I remember that was my first. And that's not including the Science Writers Boot Camp, obviously. But, like, first yeah. overnight... That's DC. That's not travel. Yeah, we went for uh, <laughs> precision medicine conferences. But that was the cool thing, too, to really see the impact that we were making once we stepped out of the Hopkins bubble. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or even network with other people. Because, like, I know when I would go to some of the other conferences and show, you know, people, in case you missed it, they were like, wow, this is really cool. More people should be doing stuff like this. You yeah. know, um, but also just to see the doctors and the researchers in their element and see how excited they would get. And that's why, I mean, I am so energized after being a triple A S this past weekend because it's all that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just like people in their maybe the researchers aren't in their element because they're presenting, but it's you know, the science communicators communicators are definitely in their element in those kind of environments. And it's awesome to catch up with people, see what kind of programs other groups are doing, um, and really like get to be part of the SciComm community. I think mm -hmm. I was hurting for that uh, through the pandemic. Uh, <laughs> the last science meeting I was at, uh, last big meeting like that was AAAS in February in Seattle in 2020, right before everything shut down. Yeah, you know, um, I remember around that time we had went to that was the thoracic surgeons when me and Marin went new orleans it was because we was down there when kobe bryant died um Marin can tell you the memory i like she was literally like right next to me and i'm breaking the news to her and you know everybody knows like that's my favorite basketball player so but then i think like when we got back you had left or you was getting ready to leave and then come back and i swear I could be wrong, but I swear we all had like some sort of mild version of COVID because we was all sick. We yeah, we came back and all were so sick. Oh. Yeah, and yeah. so that was right before the um, Hopkins Med Live. Oh my god, I was so <laughs> sick. I was so sick during that. It was so yeah. bad. Yeah. Oh man, Hopkins Med Live has so much potential. <laughs> that was fun. That was. Yeah. Fun. I like when you're talking. Okay, if you're gonna talk about broadcast stuff, like mm -hmm. that is, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love sitting down and like it's really tense, but <laughs> you can, you know, you've planned it out beforehand, and you get to have those conversations. It was really cool. No, that's and I love. Thing. Oh, and I love the connections that we like made through that because, like, right, I'm on the basic sciences team. The only reason I was like involved is because I was already on camera. Mm -hmm. Um. But I got to like talk with our cardiologists and uh, Lisa Cooper at the School of Public Health. So it was like awesome to see the other side of stuff. Yeah. And, and one of the things that you did well was you made them feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, you made them feel comfortable going on camera, too, especially you being like, let's just say we get somebody from like national news. You don't know if they're going to have like a hidden agenda or like, let me see if I can trip them up, you know. There was a sort of safety that you 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 know you made the researchers and the doctors feel. Yeah, and that's the benefit of working internally too. I mean, that's part of the appeal for me is where I can sit down and have conversations without having to have tactics. Mm -hmm. um, because one of the people in Hawkins Med Live was Namanje, mm -hmm. and she became one of our superstars during COVID. And I remember, you know, like working with her on these interview tactics and how to be comfortable and confident on camera. And she's just so good at it. So good at it. And I think it's just that little bit of a nudge and, you know, preparation from our side that can help folks really shine. Right. Mm -hmm. If you give them permission and be like, I know, you know, this stuff, you know, this is your life's work. 
Um, and I'm just going to give you some strategies so you can feel confident going in and talking to a reporter about these things. It's really, really rewarding. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what would you say that working at Johns Hopkins, you, so you did six years, right? Yeah, ish, I think. Yeah. I so, was there from 2016. Right, right. How would you say like that's helped you in the next phase of your career and your career goals? Oh my gosh, Brian, we did so <laughs> much. Man, like I learned so much and that's mm -hmm. where I keep pushing people into that internship program. You know, I'm still really engaged with, I need to get back re-engaged after this last year with the um, NASW kind of like pipeline that they run up into the science uh, writing internship because you learn so much working in that office. We handled so many different things like everything, you know, social media, event planning, um, working with researchers, reading academic papers, doing the press, learning how to do media measurement. Um, and I don't think you're going to get that in other offices, partially because they took advantage of our talents and had me doing a ton of different kinds of jobs. But it was a huge, huge learning experience. It was amazing. Yeah. And definitely. I think I can only see that now that I'm out. And I'm like, it's not the expectation anymore. Mm -hmm. So now I can see the benefit of it where it was yeah. a lot of pressure. I mean, it's a lot of pressure to do all of that. But it's cool to know that I can. Did you ever have a moment where you stood back and saw like how amazing things were? After only, I mean, I did that a lot. Okay. I'm not going to say only after I left. Um, but I all like for the science stuff i always think it's amazing mm -hmm. so that's the that's the core of it for me is to just be like wow you're doing this thing and you can tell me about it and i can like understand um is the fun part like i think towards the end i went to octopus like this octopus program uh with vanessa and ayana and uh gold dolan was speaking there at the national aquarium and i was like man you don't get to do this anywhere else. Like, mm -hmm. you don't get to have that kind of interaction um, at other places. So it's bittersweet to not be in it like that anymore, but I learned so much. It's helped me in my career so, so much that I can walk out and be like confident in my writing, confident in my storytelling. Um, it means a lot. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. You know, there was a time when we was at Audrey's house and I just looked around. And I said, wow, we have an all-star team here. I know. I know. And a lot of people, you know, and I think, too, for me personally, it was especially having worked at ESPN, which at the time was a dream job. And then afterwards, it was like, OK, this ain't a dream anymore. I'm going to go back home. But to be like working with so many different people, you know, we had one of the most diverse team. So we were all able to learn so much from each other. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we had management that listened, you know, they listened with open ears. And, you know, we was encouraged to like, I used to hate having to present sometimes. Like, what do you mean? I got to present. Can I just do the work? But it pushed me to be able to really help people understand. And what a lot of times I saw was Audrey was making sure everybody understood that every member on our team was valuable. and. I remember one time she said, I don't hire if I don't think you can be a leader. And then I was like, wow, that makes sense. Because we all led a project in some mm -hmm. way, shape, or form. And that doesn't always happen. I mean, yeah, even on the background, like kind of corporate side of things, it's, I feel, you know, like everything we did, whether management thought it was a good idea or mm -hmm. not a home run, um, you'd write a plan for it first. And that kind of preparation work and justification and measurement is it's really impactful. It's um, really, really helpful when you're trying to move projects through anywhere. Yeah. That was the first thing I did when I got the, the ringer. And I was told that the show that I was working on at the time was going to be like my show. Like mm -hmm. I'm going to be responsible for producing. I said, okay. And I took a day. I wrote a plan. I presented it to my manager. I said, so th this, oh no, first I met with the talent, I think the host. But I said, I want to know your vision. And I put it all together. I presented it to my manager. He's like, wow. And then after my first trip, 
<laughs> you know what I did? A recap, a one-page recap on the um, how many podcasts we did, the uh, you know the numbers, and uh, so in wrestling it's called the dirt sheet. So if you interview somebody and they give you a hot take, and then people it makes the headlines. So we call it the dirt sheets. So I put like all the stuff that went on the dirt sheets. And he was like, oh, wow, this is cool. And he ended up, you know, presenting it to uh, his manager. So, And it's but, so important, right? Because if you didn't write that up and give him an easy thing to share, then mm-hmm. that next up higher level would have never heard about it. You yep. know, it's like, make it easy for people to talk good about your work. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, before we get out of here, I got to ask you this question. Oh, boy. question I ask everybody. When you look back over your career, so far, and I know, you know, you've, you're still going places, but so far, when you look back at your career, when was the moment that Rachel Butch broke through the glass ceiling? That moment when you realized, wow, like, this is what I should be doing, and I'm pretty good at this. Oh, man. I think it's... I think it was for Hopkins Med Live. Whenever we were doing all the prep work ahead of time um, Mm -hmm. and pulling those types of stories and narratives out of the experts, right, and helping them organize their thoughts, like, that's what I like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was one moment. And I guess that kind of applies out into the video project I did for COVID, which was just like quick and dirty interviews with at people like our experts who are willing to talk about what was happening with coronavirus early on. Um, and I actually won't ever forget this. I was on one with Dr. G and just talking about, I don't even remember what the interview was. It was like maybe masking. Maybe it was about viral spread. Maybe it was about what we know about the genome. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, you know, I was like coaching him through the process because it has to be this like quick little video. And really, really succinct and clear for folks because it's going to be shared on social, too. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I, was, I thought I was bugging him because I was going back in and I was like, OK, so like you said this. Can you actually rephrase it this way so I can use it as a sound grab or like, oh, that's a really good point. Maybe we can relate that together with this other thing. And he just stopped. And he was like, Rachel, you're really good at this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and all I need is positive feedback. So, I mean, that the both of those experiences were like showed that this kind of like narrative training I was getting and being able to understand what these scientists are talking about and make it simple is what drove it home for me. I just love it. (laughs) Man, that's amazing. You know, uh, shout out to Dr. G. I actually just talked to him on Twitter today. Um, And so my mother went and saw him. Well, she went to that doctor and then uh, she heard his voice because he was helping her through COVID. And, um, but they had never met in person. And so she was like, excuse me, Dr. G. He was like, and so he's like, let's take a picture. So I'm like, this was like Monday. And he texts me. It is the selfie of them too. So that was amazing. Oh, he's uh, such a real one. I love him. Yeah. He was the first person (laughs) I had to write a, um, a tip sheet for. And it was something about, it was something COVID related. And I remember like, you know, struggling. And he was like, no, you got it. This this, is, you know, you clean it up a little bit. But, you know, again, that positive feedback and you know how it is when you're working with researchers, you, you know, you, you sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. Let's call it for what it is. You know, you might have somebody that's difficult, somebody that's easy to work with, you know, mm-hmm. like the urology team. They was I had good experiences, but everybody else didn't. So, <laughs> you know, but I was uh, definitely, you know, it was definitely always great working with him. Yeah, I mean, it's so fun. Like, I am a public radio junkie, so I am listening in whenever he's on there. That, like, Mm -hmm. the NPR hosts are calling him Dr. G after his formal introduction. I'm like, ah, man, he's great. (laughs) (laughs) Facts, facts. But, yeah, I, like, one thing to say, though, I hope I'm not keeping you long. No, you're good. This this, 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 this show, it's about you, so. (laughs) Even with the difficult, like, right, like, as a, right, let's go back to this divide between science and communications. They mm-hmm. don't really understand what we do, right? Unless you've already engaged with your comms office, I don't think that your average researcher is going to like value our work without some context because mm-hmm. they're trained to go up through the peer reviewed publication, presentations. That's what's important to their career kind of pathway. And that's mm-hmm. 
all that's pointed out to you as a researcher. So getting in there and like coming to some sort of common ground with folks is the most important part. So even whenever you're not seeing eye to eye with them, like my best experience was just explaining the fundamentals of what I do, why it's important for like how it can benefit them. Like, right, we're working towards the same goal here and yeah. sincerely trying to understand their work. Because I think, you know, this is what they do. And they're trusting you with saying things about it that they mm -hmm. don't necessarily get. Um, so building that trust of being like, I'm going to take this little egg and I'm going to take care of it and we're going to do good things with this information. I'm not going to harm it is one of the most important parts. And that's the thing I think people really need to understand, um, you know, and that's what you did a great job with when interns would come or new people would come where you would help them understand, like, you know, we're communicating their life's work to the public. Yeah. You know, and that was always fun. It was always fun to watch, like seeing them on the news, uh, you know, especially if it was like an interview, like, oh, yeah, I set that up. <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Or wa watching them um, being right there while they were doing the interview. And I remember even being back to Dr. G the first time I met him. He's like, so, Brian, was that good? Is this a good point? You know, and it's like, you know, because we're all in this together. You know what I mean? And this is important work. You know, I tell people all the time, like people say, hey, I'm sorry. I forgot to send you this video. I'm like, dude, we're not doing brain surgery. This is podcasting. Oh, yeah. I forgot to send you this audio. I'm so sorry. Like, it's not the end of the world. And I think because when I was at ESPN, it was a shout out to my guy, Mike Scalise. It was a time where we had to, like, make video cuts, quick cuts for Sports Center. And he said, uh, hey, man, and guess what? If we don't get it up in time, it's not a big deal. And it was just like that confidence, like, okay, you know, because some people would yell. He's like, ain't nobody dying. We're not doing brain surgery. If the screen go black, no, we don't want it to happen. But if it do, so what? You know what I mean? But It's so different after you work with the people who actually are doing brain surgery. Exactly. <laughs> it, and, then you, and then even communicating their work properly because it could change their reputation. Exactly. You know I mean? And that's the scary part of handing it off. You know, I had not the same experience, but, you know, I worked in a research lab and had to hand off my work after I graduated. And it's it's so hard. You work mm -hmm. so hard on it that you you want to make sure people get it right. Exactly. So that's what I want to do. Absolutely. Well, Rachel, this was so much fun. It was so good catching up and, you know, going back down memory lane. I know. Yeah, it was it. great. Thank you for having me on. I could like sit and talk here for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> um, but there is um, an addition. So I haven't done an episode yet, but I did announce at the 100th episode that we'll be uh, breaking through glass ceilings with new projects. So when, you know, as you transition and keep moving forward in your career, we'll have to bring you back on for that one. So you can talk about more cool stuff that you're doing. Oh, I'll keep notes on cool stuff I'm working on and make sure to bring it over to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. But uh, let the people know where they can uh, find you. Oh, man. Uh, don't find me. No, you can <laughs> find me uh, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not as active on those platforms as I used to be, but definitely give me a shout out. And you can, should I give them my work email? Like, do we want to say hi that way? Sure, if you want. I. Okay, so if you are a student and you want to get engaged with science writing and don't know how to start, email me, rachel.butch at utsouthwestern.edu. That is another one of my favorite things to talk about, so I'm happy to connect you up. That is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure y'all keep up to date with Rachel's work. Um, she's the best person to talk science with, I promise you that. And uh, I'm still rooting for that podcast to come. Because uh, I know Rachel's very good at communications in general. So and throw a little bit of science on there and let's see what happens. But folks, that'll do it for this week's episode of Breaking Through Glass Ceilings. Remember, do not let anyone place a ceiling above your success. You can get Breaking Through Glass Ceilings t-shirts from foryourwear.com. Also remember, you can go onto Symphony of Balloons and save 10% by just simply mentioning you heard about it right here on Breaking Through Glass Ceilings. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You can support this podcast by going on foryourwear.com. 
www.brianhwaters.com. Go to personalities and see Brian H. Waters. There you can get breaking through glass ceilings t-shirt or a hoodie, as well as a no ceilings above success t-shirt. Go to foryourwear.com. Make sure you also check out some of the other podcasters and professional wrestlers as well.